like New Year's Eve, where we mark the passing of time and we use it as an opportunity to reflect on what has been and what will be. Uh, As I was thinking about what I've done with my New Year's, I can't actually remember what I did as a kid. I think we must have just been at home with family. Um, But since becoming an adult, I've done a huge number of things and spent my New Year's Eve in a variety of ways. Um, My first New Year's that I can remember, uh, I remember being at a friend's place. Um, It was a beautiful big house in research and it had this amazing view of the city. And we um, were sitting outside on this stinking hot 36 degree midnight, um, watching the fireworks um, bursting over the city as we worshipped God. I... uh, the next couple of New Year's, I think I worked. I, um, I used to work in a chicken shop, and because I was one of the few people that didn't plan to spend my New Year's Eve drinking, uh, I usually got the task of working the New Year's Eve shift and the New Year's Day shift. So I'd go to work, maybe pop into a party briefly, and, um, and head home to sleep before getting up for work the next morning. I... Uh, spent a couple of years doing some chaplaincy and pastoral care things on New Year's Eve. Um, one year I, I was a Red Frogs chaplain at a big dance party at one of the stadiums and was running around making sure that people were staying hydrated and calling in for first aid when it was needed. And I spent a New Year's uh, as a pastoral care intern at one of the major hospitals in Melbourne and um, across my New Year's Eve I was on call And I got called in to spend time with um, two families whose family members were dying on New Year's Eve. I've even spent New Year's Eves in bed, where I've been asleep by the time it's 12 o'clock. But no matter where I've been on New Year's Eve, I always find myself reflecting on the year that has been and what I'm hoping for the year to come. As we read the Bible, we see that it is full of reflections from people who are thinking about their life and where they see God in that. As we read the Old Testament, we come across this funny little book called Ecclesiastes. I don't mean funny as in ha-ha, because if you've read Ecclesiastes, it's not very funny. Um, But you're probably familiar with some of these verses, and I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 13. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything, everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better than for people to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. 
you know, I've, I've read these, uh, I've, sorry, I've heard these words um, read at all different kinds of events. Um, sometimes they're kind of really emphasising the, um, the joyful things that are mentioned and sometimes they're emphasising the difficult things that are mentioned. But I think the reason this verse is so popular is that it resonates with us. It talks about so many of the things in life that are really familiar to us. Birth and death. Destruction and healing. Weeping and laughter. Mourning and dancing. War and peace. These things sit side beside one another in life, and each of them has a right time and place in our human existence. Ecclesiastes reminds us that God is God in all the seasons of life, in the joyful and the difficult extremes, and also in the ordinary and the mundane. I don't know what your year has been like. Perhaps 2018 has been a really great year for you. Perhaps you've seen God's hand at work in ways that really just stir your heart to... um, to praise God in such a spontaneous way. You know, earlier this year, I received a text message from a friend. Um, we've been friends for 16 years, and her text message said that God had been speaking to her, that she'd started going to a church, and that um, she had kind of um, re-engaged with her faith. And I, um, I watched her get baptised during the year, and I cried and cried because... I've been praying for my friend for 14 years um, since the time she'd walked away from her faith. And seeing God answer my prayer in such an amazing way uh, was just the most incredible thing. We also found out at the start of the year that um, I was pregnant and we, um, in October we had our little uh, Evangeline. And when I sit and I think about these kinds of events, it's so easy for me to see the hand of God at work. It's easy to believe that God is who he says he is. But this year has also been a challenging one. Um, We were renting a house that, um, it sounds like a really minor thing, but we had rats or possums in the wall. Um, And I was woken up almost every night um, by kind of scratching and scraping and often shrieking. Um, And I was pregnant, so I was already not sleeping well. Um, We decided to move. So we moved a couple of weeks ago um, with a little six-week-old baby and a two-year-old, and it's fair to say that that was the most stressful move of our life and possibly one of the most stressful times in our marriage. (laughs) Um, It's also been uh, a year where we've been grieved by lots of things. We've seen marriages breaking down um, around us in um, some of our close friends. And this Christmas was the last Christmas that... um, we will have had with my grandmother, who's in the last days of her life. And so when I see these things, when I think about these things that cause such pain and sorrow, it's harder to see what God is doing. I wish that there were really easy answers to that question, but I I don't think there usually is. As you reflect back on the past year that's been How easy is it for you to believe that God is who he says he is in all seasons of life? When life is good and things seem to fall into place easily, is it easier to believe that God is good? That God can bring good from the hard things in life? But believing those things when things are tough, that God is good even in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of illness and death, of divorce, of abuse, of fear, 
of failure, in the midst of grief, that God is God in the tearing down and in the mourning and in the silence. It's easy in these times and spaces to feel the frustration and despair of the writer of Ecclesiastes. Uh, A few years back, I had um, a shocker of a year. Actually, it was probably a couple of years. Um, I struggled my way through five years of study. Um, I really um, struggled to stay on track and to um, keep going with my course. I'd attended several funerals in the space of two years. Um, They were all really tragic causes of death. I'd been leading a ministry which had died under my leadership and... I was kind of reeling from all these losses and my own sense of failure. And I was desperately clinging to the belief that somehow God was good, even in the midst of all these things I didn't understand when I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, It was a cancer that they assured me had a good prognosis, um, but even cancers with a good prognosis are not easy. I had CT scans, PET scans. I saw a fertility specialist, two surgeons, two oncologists before I'd even started chemotherapy and radiotherapy. I mentally and emotionally coped with undergoing this treatment by focusing on just one day at a time. And it was only once I had finished treatment and I was sitting and reflecting on what I thought my future was going to look like that I realised that all of that had been thrown into question. All of the things that I had assumed would just kind of happen for me. Career, marriage, children... And before long, I was also struggling with guilt over surviving cancer when so many people around me were dying from theirs. And I suddenly realised that my belief that God was good was teetering on a knife's edge. My thinking was that if God really knew how much pain I was carrying around inside me, how alone and isolated I had felt, then surely he would never have allowed these kinds of things that I had seen and experienced to happen. Um, I want us to have a look at a story in John 11. Um, I'm not going to um, read all of the story because it's quite a long one. I'm going to... Oh, thanks. I'm going to um, just briefly describe what happens at the start and the end of the story, and I want to read a passage from the middle. But at, this, at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus is with his disciples when he receives word that his friend Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary... Um, you'll be familiar with Martha and Mary from another story. He finds out that Lazarus is sick. He stays where he is for a few more days before telling his disciples that Lazarus has died and that they should return to Judea so that the disciples may believe that Jesus does the things that he says he does. It's clear from this conversation that Jesus returns to Judea with the plan of resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. Once they arrive at Judea, they discover that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days and that many people had come to mourn with Martha and Mary. Martha speaks to Jesus in verse 21 and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus assures Martha that those who believe in him will never die. And Martha, once again, that she confirms that she has faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And I want to pick up at verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, uh, and the Jews who had come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then Jesus said, see how he loved him. Sorry, the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When, Jesus had, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his, feet, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know how I resonate with those words of Mary Lord, if you had just been here. Something about suffering that isolates us and can make us feel like no one in the world knows what we're going through. Sometimes we suffer in such a way that we think that God could never make something good enough come from our suffering that would justify the pain, that the end could never really justify the means. In my experience, I'd settled for an image of God where I believed that God was content and unbothered by human suffering if it meant a good outcome in the bigger picture. Here, Jesus gives us a very different picture of God. This passage takes, takes particular note of three instances where Jesus um, is overwhelmed with emotion. In the first and third instances, Jesus is described as being deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The English translation of the Greek verb that is used here is a, um, has a bit of difficulty portraying what um, the Greek verb kind of suggests. Um, this Greek verb um, means to snort like a horse. That sounds like a really strange kind of a, um, a thing, and it, it's hard to kind of work out what that would mean. But um, commentators believe that the best way to interpret um, this verse is to see perhaps that Jesus was indignant. He was angered by what he was seeing here. And uh, I think we've all been at, um, lots of us will have been at funerals. Um, I've been at a few where um, anger has been a really kind of present emotion at those services. But uh, it's not that kind of an anger that um, is being spoken about here. Commentators seem to think that um, Jesus was not angry at the grief of those that were gathered but at the sin that underlies the causes of suffering in our broken world. 
to consider that God would be angry at sin doesn't really strike us as that unusual. Um, we see many examples of this throughout Scripture. Um, but what may be less expected, and I think we do see it in subtle ways throughout Scripture, but we see it really clearly in this passage. And um, we see in verse 35 that Jesus weeps. You know, lots of us will know this verse. We probably learnt it in Sunday school as a little piece of Bible trivia that it's the shortest verse in the Bible. But I wonder if you ever stopped to consider what it's saying. Jesus wept at the loss of his friend, at the grief of those who were gathered, at the difficulties and the harsh realities of suffering and death, even though he was about to raise Lazarus to life. God isn't a God who is distant and uncaring about our suffering. He's not a God who sits back and pulls the strings of fate and is unmoved. You know, we've just come out of this Christmas season when we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. And it's significant not only because the coming of Emmanuel meant the coming of Jesus, it's significant because he is still Emmanuel. God is still with us and God is with us even in our suffering, even when we're not sure whether God is with us. Jesus says, if you, if you see me, then you've seen the Father. In this tiny verse, we see something about God that I think we sometimes miss in our discussion of suffering. And that is that even though God is sovereign and has a plan, that doesn't negate that God is also grieved and moved by suffering. Jesus knows that he's going to resurrect Lazarus. He knows the good outcome of this story, but still he weeps. You know, I'd spent so long trying to work out the ins and outs of what had happened to me and what God was doing with it. I had this picture that God was somewhat distant. Not, not that God was uninterested in my suffering, but that God was maybe not necessarily moved by it. And I sat one day in my lounge room listening to music, spending some time with God, and into my head came this picture, and it was as though I was looking down at my own body through my own eyes, watching the chemotherapy flow through this tube into me, and I was overcome by the most intense grief. But somehow I also knew that the grief that I was experiencing wasn't my grief, and I heard God speak to my spirit, and suddenly... I just knew that God was more grieved by my own experiences and my own grief than even I was. That God knew how isolated and alone I had felt sitting in that chemotherapy chair. That no matter how many people I spoke to had also had cancer, that no one had exactly the same experience as me, and so I felt like nobody really could understand. But God understood completely. God understood even the things that I couldn't yet understand. I was never alone. And knowing that, knowing that God does not delight in suffering, that our suffering also grieves God, answered all the questions that I didn't know that I had. I thought that if I got the exact mathematical equation that would make so much good come out of so much pain, then it would make the fact that I had had cancer okay but that would never have brought me comfort because the reality is that it's not okay. But that doesn't mean that God can't use it for good. We go on in this story and we see that Jesus does resurrect Lazarus from the dead. And we see another part of God's goodness 
in the face of suffering and death, that God is faithful. God is a God of resurrection and redemption. I don't know what the year that has passed has looked like for you. I certainly don't know what the year ahead looks like for any of us. But I want to encourage you to look for where God may be in all seasons, in the good and in the bad. It may be that coming into this new year, you have things in your life that you need to lay down before God. Maybe like Martha, you need assurance that Jesus will take those things and breathe new life into them. We see in these verses that Martha Martha assumes that Lazarus' resurrection will take place in the future, in the last days. But Jesus resurrects Lazarus that very day. God is always faithful to his word, but sometimes that looks very different to what we're expecting. Sometimes we see the fruits of what God is doing quite quickly and other times it can take a long time. And I think sometimes we may never see those things in our lifetime. Maybe like Mary, you need assurance that God is present with you in grieving, and grieving, sorry, and grieves the suffering that you are facing. Maybe you feel alone and isolated. Maybe you need to know that God cares about your pain. Maybe you're eagerly anticipating the new year. Maybe you already know some of the things that await you in the new year and you're excited. Maybe you're already in a place where you're confident in God's goodness because it's easy to see the fruits of it in your life. Whatever place it is that you find yourself in today, my prayer for you in the new year is that you make time to seek God in those places, the God who meets our needs. Let me pray for us. God, as we find ourselves at the end of uh, another year, we find ourselves thinking about what has been and what's to come. We find ourselves thinking about who it is that you are and where it is that we see you in our life. God, I pray that uh, you will uh, bring your healing touch to to those that are carrying around pain deep inside. I pray for um, those who are uh, eagerly anticipating the new year, that they will continue to see you at work, that uh, those those things, um, those good things that you bring out and reveal to us, that they will stir up praise in their hearts and that they will be testifying to your goodness in their life. And God, I pray for those who are still waiting to see your goodness, that are waiting in the silence, that are struggling to hear your voice and see you in their midst. I pray that you will reveal yourself to them. And God, I pray for perseverance for them to continue to seek your face. May you uh, keep us safe throughout the new year. And... um, We ask that uh, you will be with us in all of our seasons. Amen.